Welcome to the First Church Orlando podcast. Here you will find recordings of weekly sermons, devotions, interviews, and seminar recordings from the First United Methodist Church of Orlando. For more information about First Church Orlando, please visit our website at firstchurchorlando.org or follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Now, enjoy the podcast. Today, the scripture is the story of Noah's Ark and the Flood, uh, which is six chapters in the book of Genesis. I'm not going to read all six chapters to you unless you want me to. I've, I've, I've cut it down to just sort of the essence of the story, and it's still a little on the long side, but uh, bear with me for just a moment. Beginning with verse, chapter 6, verse 11. Now the earth was corrupt in God's sight, and the earth was filled with violence. And God saw that the earth was corrupt, for all flesh had corrupted its ways upon the earth. And God said to Noah, I have determined to make an end of all flesh, for the earth is filled with violence because of them. Now I'm going to destroy them along with the earth. Make yourself an ark of cypress wood. Then in verse 17, For my part, I'm going to bring a flood of waters on the earth to destroy from under heaven all flesh in which is the breath of life. Everything that is on the earth shall die. But I will establish my covenant with you, and you shall come into the ark, you, your sons, your wife, and your sons' wives with you. And of every living thing, all flesh, you shall bring two of every kind into the ark to keep them alive with you. You shall be male and female." Then the Lord said to Noah, go into the ark, you and all your household, for I have seen that you alone are righteous before me in this generation. Take with you seven pairs of all clean animals, the male and its mate, and a pair of the animals that are not clean, the male and its mate, and seven pairs of the birds of the air also, male and female, to keep their kind alive on the face of all the earth. For in seven days I will send rain on the earth for forty days and forty nights, and every living thing that I have made I will blot out from the face of the ground. And Noah did all that the Lord had commanded him. Now jumping ahead to chapter 17, verse 17. The flood continued forty days on the earth, and the waters increased, bore up the ark, and it rose high above the earth. The waters swelled and increased greatly on the earth, and the ark floated on the face of the waters. The waters swelled so mightily on the earth that all the high mountains over the whole heaven were covered, and the waters swelled above the mountains, covering them 15 cubits deep, and all flesh died that moved on the earth. Only Noah was left, and those that were with him on the ark. But God remembered Noah and all the wild animals and all the domestic animals that were with him in the ark, and God made a wind blow over the earth, and the waters subsided. The fountains of the deep and the windows of the heaven were closed. The rain from the heavens were restrained and the waters gradually receded from the earth. And then chapter 8, verse 15. Then God said to Noah, go out of the ark, you and your wife and your sons and your sons' wives with you. Bring out with you every living thing that was with you all of all flesh, birds and animals and every creeping thing that creeps on the earth so that they may abound on the earth and be fruitful and multiply on the earth. And then finally, chapter 9, verse 8. Then God said to Noah and to his sons with them, As for me, I am establishing my covenant with you and your descendants after you. 
with every living creature that is with you, the birds, the domestic animals, and every animal of the earth with you, as many as came out of the ark, I established my covenant with you, and that never again shall all flesh be cut off by the waters of the flood, and never again shall there be a flood to destroy the earth. God said, this is the sign of the covenant that I make between me and you and every living creature that is with you for all generations. I have set my bow in the clouds, and it shall be a sign of the covenant between me and the earth. When I bring clouds over the earth and the bow is seen in the clouds, I will remember my covenant that is between me and you and every living creature of all flesh, and the water shall never again become a flood to destroy all flesh. The word of God for the people of God. Lord, this is a hard story, a confusing story, hard to believe. And so would you speak to us what we are supposed to know today from a story that has been given so many chapters of your word? Uh, Would you speak to us about the floods that sometimes happen in our life, the chaos and confusion that sometimes feel like they're going to drown us? Speak to us words of new creation, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, Noah's in the ark. Noah in the ark. That's horrible, isn't it? I mean, it's just horrible. And have you noticed how often we put that image in, uh, in children's nurseries, in children's ministry areas at churches and children's toys? Uh, you know, and I get it, like the big boat and, you know, our you know, old man Noah and his family and all the exotic animals and the rainbow. It's cute. You know, it's cute. But have you ever noticed like the cute pictures of Noah's Ark that there's never any dark clouds? There's no wind, there's no lightning. You ever notice that there's no dark waves underneath the boat and heads bobbing in the surf? You've noticed, right? We leave that part out. I mean, it's, it's terrifying. It's horrible. And we teach the children to stories. The story, I mean, teach the children this about God. We ought to put an R rating with it. Right? Whoever thought this was a good idea, right? And ironically, I don't know if this is true for you, I think it's probably the first Bible story I ever learned. How do we teach about a loving God when we tell children very first thing? Well, but there is this story about a flood. I mean, think about it, right? Did you know that we're not the only religion in the world that has a flood story? In fact, did you know that just about every religion and culture in the history of the world has had a flood story of some kind that always includes that some, for some reason, it was sent by the gods, wiping out all of life. Every culture, every religion, every continent seems to have one. Think about this. Just this last year, 2023, in the United States, there were many floods, but there were four major ones causing billions of dollars of damage, killing dozens of people. Anybody heard recently about the atmospheric river going across California, right? Causing more destruction because of flooding. I mean, just think about how many floods have happened around the world since the beginning of time. No wonder there are stories about floods in every uh, culture. Now, today, in our modern scientific world, we understand why floods happen meteorologically. We have reasonable, rational explanations for floods. (laughs) We'll talk about it. But originally, 
it was thought around the world in every religion that the gods caused everything to happen. Anything that happened, every major moment of history, every natural disaster was believed to be caused by a god, right? In fact, that's how religion began in every culture. It was a search for meaning. It was a search for understanding. Why does the world work the way it does? Questions like, why did this particular thing happen now? Who's responsible? Are the gods uh, on our side? Are the gods angry? Or are the gods just plain crazy? We were asking these questions since the beginning of time. If there was a successful harvest or a successful hunt, that meant the gods must be on our side. If we had a bad harvest or a bad you know, year for our flocks or a bad hunt, then what we must assume, gods must be angry with us, right? If we win a battle, it must mean our God is on our side. If we lose a battle, it must mean that the other side's gods are greater, And the Judeo-Christian tradition is no different. Many of our ancient stories are rooted in this understanding that God causes everything to happen. Maybe it's to blame for everything that happens. Everything was interpreted spiritually, including natural disasters. Ancient people all assumed that something like a flood could only originate with the deity, right? Reza Aslan, who is sort of a historian who teaches about uh, the developing uh, religions of the world, says, tales of a world-ending deluge that destroys all of humanity save for a fortunate few are among the oldest and most widely spread in human history. The reasons for the flood differ depending on who's telling the story. There are different settings, different gods, different endings, each reworked to reflect the particular culture and religion of the storyteller. And more specifically about our flood story from the Bible, Peter N. says, many biblical scholars relying on geological findings believe that a great deluge in Mesopotamia around 2900 BCE was the trigger for many of the flood stories that circulated in the ancient world. So it began with something that actually happened, a historical event like a flood, but then it got interpreted theologically. Why was there a flood? Who caused the flood? What was the reason behind the flood? Now, let's talk about our flood story specifically. The reason for our flood story, according to the Bible, was violence that the world had become a pervasively violent place. The humanity was broadly and inherently violent. Now, I'm going to make just a general statement. In general, violence is bad, right? Can we agree to that? In general, violence is bad. I'm sure everybody can think of an exception, but in general, violence is bad. This isn't the general badness of violence. This is extreme violence. This is a a violence rooted in inhumane cruelty. The, the, The unity that was intended in the Garden of Eden had long since passed. The respect for the sanctity of life that God intended for all of us was gone. Knowledge that every human is made in the image and likeness of God had long been forgotten. And let's think a little bit more about violence. 
Ultimately, acts of violence are inherently selfish, aren't they? So I'm acting out, and you are the object of my wrath. It's dehumanizing. It turns people into deserving objects of my anger. And always it seems like violence begets violence, and it escalates. And it grows, and it becomes worse and worse. Just on a side note, have you ever heard that expression from the Old Testament, eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth? Right? It sounds kind of violent, doesn't it? Well, the Old Testament is violent. You know, if my eye gets poked out on purpose or, violent, or accident, I get to come poke out yours. How violent. Did you realize it's actually meant to constrain and set a limit on the violence? Because if you come and poke out my eye, I'm going to take out both of yours, and I'm going to punch you in the nose, and I'm going to kick you in the shin, and I'm going to pull out your hair, right? It's going to grow. It's going to grow. That's, that's the nature of violence. It escalates. Now, now back to our story. A question that we might ask, a question anyone might ask about this story of the flood is, would a good God, notice the preface, a good God, would a good God actually flood the earth and kill countless humans and animals. And I want to be very clear. My answer is an emphatic no. A good God would not do that. I do not believe our God, a good God, would do that. It doesn't line up for me with Jesus, who is God in human flesh, in whom the invisible God was pleased to dwell. We call Jesus the Prince of Peace. Can you imagine Jesus sending a flood to kill everyone on the earth? I don't believe that. I do believe that there was a terrible flood at some point in history in that part of the world. I do believe a lot of people died. And I do believe that, that people who understood that there is a God in heaven got together and started thinking, how did this happen? What's the reason behind it. I want you to hear this from me and hear it as clearly as I I can express it. Stories in the Bible were written to reveal something specific, something particular that was in the hearts and minds of the people who wrote those stories long ago. That means that sometimes the questions that get raised for us millennia later are not the question they intended to be asked or answered. Does that make sense, what I'm saying? Sometimes we rightly come up with a question, why this, why that? And it just isn't interested in answering that question. It's answering a different question. They were writing at that time from their mindset for their culture trying to bring sense around things that people didn't understand. How could those ancient writers millennia ago understand what we now know scientifically? How could they possibly have grasped how we would think about the world thousands of years later? So rather than asking a question like, would a good God flood the earth, killing countless humans and animals, they assumed from the beginning that God is good. They assumed from the beginning that God is righteous. And so the questions they asked were more like, would a good God flood the earth? That's not not exactly the, the, the whole part of it. It would say, what would cause a good God to flood the whole earth? What would be the reason? 
What would cause a good God to send a flood? Do you follow me? Not questioning the goodness of God, asking what conditions would make a good God do such a thing. They would never have considered condemning God for doing something terrible like flooding the whole earth. They would ask the question, what's wrong with us? What was it about humanity that made this something that needed to happen? And the answer we said in this story is violence. And to God, the violence among humans, his creation, wasn't a source of anger and wrath. It was a source of heartbreak. And by the way, I think violence on the earth is still heartbreaking to God. If God did send the flood as an act of wrath, wouldn't we expect God to be violent all the time? God to do wrathful things all the time? Wouldn't we expect that a, a wrathful, unpredictable God just might lash out anytime we do something wrong? When we're bad, when we mess up, when we fall short, wouldn't we expect a wrathful God to send a bolt of lightning our way? That's not the way the story is written. The story is written to explain why this flood happened. The blame is not on God. The blame is on violence. Walter Brueggemann writes, God is not angered, but grieved. He's not enraged, but saddened. God does not stand over against, but with his creation, and God still does. So our theme, as you probably know now for the season of Lent, is chaos, confusion, and new creation. I don't know of any better story for chaos and confusion than the story of the flood, right? The whole thing is chaotic and confusing. Imagine the violence that would justify a flood. Pretty chaotic. Imagine an old man being told you're going to build an ark. What's an ark? <laughs> That's kind of confusing. Imagine Noah's neighbors wondering, what's he building? <laughs> what is that thing? Never seen a boat before, probably. The flood itself had to be chaotic. Life on the ark had to be pretty chaotic. Coming off of the, the ark, and nobody's left. And all, living, all life has been erased. Imagine how chaotic that must have been. The chaos and confusion in the story of Noah's ark and the flood gave way to a new beginning, a new possibility, a fresh start for the earth. And really, I think that's the point of the story. It's easy to get lost in all the story about the, you know, the number of animals and how big the boat was and how long the water was on the earth. But the point of the story, I think, is really about a new beginning, a fresh start, a cleansing of the earth, if you will, new creation following chaos and confusion. After they, the flood is over, in Genesis 9, God said, be fruitful and multiply abound on the earth and have dominion over it. It's very similar to what God said to Adam and Eve. Then God said to Noah and his sons with him, as for me, I'm establishing my covenant with you and your descendants after you, every living creature that is with you, the birds, the domestic animals, every animal of the earth with you, as many as came out of the ark. I establish my covenant with you. Never again shall there be a flood to destroy the earth. God said, this is the sign of the covenant that I make between me and you and every living creature that is with you for all future generations. I have set my bow in the clouds and it shall be a sign of the covenant between me and the earth. When I bring clouds over the earth and the bow is seen in the clouds, 
I will remember my covenant that is between me and you and every living creature. Very likely, I mean, there's geological evidence, very likely there was a significant flood that happened in this region of the world in ancient times. I don't think it covered the entirety of the earth. I think it was probably localized, as most floods are. I think we're meant to interpret this flood myth as a way of explaining how such a flood came to be. Where did it come from? Why did it come? And God's involvement in it. Actually, I think there's, there's three things we're supposed to take from the story. One, that God hates violence, that is contrary to God's intent for us to love each other, even to love our enemies. Second, the promise that God will never do it again, that God won't, we don't have to worry when the clouds get dark outside, the skies get dark, the rain starts, we don't have to worry. And finally, the promise that whatever our floods may be, literal or metaphor, that new creation is always on the horizon, that there's always an opportunity for a new beginning. Speaking of violence, I don't know about you, but I've been paying attention for the last several months about what's been going on uh, in Israel and Gaza, the war between Israel and Hamas. No one questioning that what Hamas did on October 7th was horrific. Killing, pillaging, raping, kidnapping. I mean, it's, the, it's horror of horrors. And there's no question that what's happened in Gaza has been awful ever since. 29,000 to date have died in a eroding humanitarian crisis. There is, as you probably know, increased pressure internationally to call for a ceasefire. It may happen. It may not. Very likely there's much more suffering and death to come. But I've noticed, I don't know if you've picked up on this, but I've noticed that in the midst of all this conversation about the terrible things that Israel is doing, that Hamas has done, and, and all the suffering, there's moments where there's talk about the possibility of a solution. Could we end the violence? Could we make sure that the remaining hostages get home? Is it possible that Gaza could be rebuilt? Is it possible that there could be lasting peace in the Middle East? That sounds a lot like the kingdom of heaven, doesn't it? And yet I hear it on the news. Is it possible? Will it happen? I don't know. Will it all work out in the end? I don't know. I hope so. I pray so. But do we as people of faith, and not people of the world, not people of, of the media, we as people of faith, do we trust, do we believe that after tragedies, that there are opportunities for something new, a new beginning, an opportunity to rebuild and create something even better? That doesn't deny or dismiss the horrors that happened or the, the evil of violence. And yet it does open the possibility that God is never finished, that violence, chaos, confusion never have the final word. Joan Chittister says, the marriage of confusion and creativity is the beginning of new life. We start now from places we have never been allowed to imagine before. And out of them we, out of them we can imagine new conclusions as well. So what floods have you endured? 
what floods are you enduring? Maybe they're literal. Maybe they're metaphoric. The hard times, the overtimes, the times we feel over our heads, the times when the death and destruction feels just too great. The message of this story, the message of Scripture, the message of the season is look past the dark clouds of the moment and look for the rainbow. Look for the promise that a new day is coming. Or to put it in Lenten terms, look past the cross because Easter is coming. Let's pray. So Lord, I pray for my friends this morning that are that are going through a flood right now. Maybe it's struggling with finances. Maybe it's a struggle at home. Maybe it's a struggle at work. Maybe it's an internal struggle. But it feels deep and it feels dark. It feels deadly. Lord, help us to look to you as a source of hope, as a source of encouragement. Help us to look past the, the moment of our story to what's to come with hope trusting in your goodness, trusting in the power of new creation. For those of us who feel weak today, make us stronger with your help. And for those of us who feel strong today, maybe we could be a, an anchor, a lifeboat for somebody else. Help us through the hard times, Lord. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. We hope you enjoyed the podcast and that you will listen again in the future. If you enjoyed today's message, we hope you'll subscribe to our podcast on your favorite platform and share it with others on social media. For more information about First Church Orlando, please visit our website at firstchurchorlando.org or follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. If this podcast is a valuable resource to you, we invite you to give to this ministry by making a financial contribution at firstchurchorlando.org forward slash give. Now, may the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious unto you. May the Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace.